Please turn your Bibles to two passages of Scripture, uh, one the 16th chapter of Exodus and the other the 8th chapter of Deuteronomy. And we'll start in the 8th chapter of Deuteronomy. Today is Mother's Day. I wonder who holds the record for having the most children. One mother. How many children does she have? Does she have? A lady by the name of Leontina Albina in San Antonio, Chile. Holds the record. And in 1981, she had her 55th child. Obviously, there must have been some triples in there, triplets in there. Well, uh, of course, we don't measure success as a mom by how many, but by how they turn out. And uh, what, uh, what do they understand of the meaning of life, of uh, who they are and who God is and so on? Uh, mom and dad, of course, have a tremendous impact, the most impact on children's lives. Certainly coaches and teachers and friends play a part, but mom and dad shaped those formative years. I've done many things as a father that uh, were not correct, and there are many things I didn't do that would have been correct. And yet, in spite of it, God somehow blessed, and every now and again, uh, he just uh, will do something to encourage you. Here's a letter that Barbara and I got some years ago from our, one of our daughters. Dear Mom and Daddy, I'm in Dallas right now. It's early in the morning. Everybody is still sleeping, and I just got back from running. While I was outside, I was thinking a lot. I guess this whole trip I've been thinking a lot about how very, very blessed I am. I've just realized that I know Jesus in such a deeper and more real way than most of the world. I've just been thinking about both of you and how very grateful I am to you for the way you both know God. You've taught me to know Him. Uh, your lifestyle, uh, your desire to serve God, so on. Well, that's what we want. That's, that's, that's where we measure our success as a parent when our kids catch those kind of values. Uh, some are graduating from high school at this time of the year and some from college and some are getting married and some are moving and starting new aspects of their lives. It's a good time to think about the meaning of life. What is life all about? I'm reminded of uh, the sea captain, of a captain of an ocean liner who had a reputation as a great sea captain and his first mate really just tried to do everything exactly as the captain did and look forward to the day when he would succeed him. And One thing puzzled him. Every morning, the captain would go to the bridge of the ship and he had a little drawer there that he kept locked. He would unlock that drawer and he would take out this sheet of paper and he'd look intently at it for a few minutes, place it back in the drawer and lock the drawer. And uh, the first mate couldn't wait to get a hold of the key. And sure enough, when the Captain retired, 
first mate succeeded him, and the first thing he did was get the key and go open that drawer and take out that piece of paper and look at it. Here's what it said. Port is left, starboard is right. (laughs) Uh, Well, we want to get back to the basics. And uh, when we start thinking about life, let's make sure we know that port is left and starboard is right. What is life all about? Uh, What will the road ahead uh, be like? Uh, When you finish high school, when you finish college, when you get married, what's the road ahead going to be like? out there on life's ocean. What experiences will God take you through? What will be his purpose in those experiences? When the Israelites left Egypt and headed toward the promised land, they went barking on something new. And, and uh, God would have some experiences for them. And he had a purpose in what he took them through. The prescription of God for spiritual growth is testing In the 8th chapter of Deuteronomy, in the 2nd verse, Moses, at the end of the journey, reviews the road that God had led them down, what they experienced. Verse 2 of Deuteronomy 8. Thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these forty years in the wilderness. He says, remember how God led you. How... Remember, there had been a freeing initiation in verse 14 of chapter 8 of Deuteronomy. He says, Beware that your heart be lifted up, and you forget the Lord, which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. God started his dealings with them when he brought them out of bondage in Egypt there. And uh, if you're a Christian, there was a point at which God brought you out of bondage. You were in bondage to guilt, uh, to judgment, to sin, uh, to the dominion of sin in your life, as well as the guilt of it, to Satan. And God delivered you. He brought you out through the blood of the Lamb. They would have put the blood of the Lamb over their doorpost and it would protect them and deliver them from judgment. Well, Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us, the New Testament says. That Lamb represented Christ's death for our sins. And when we put our trust in Him and surrender our will to Him, we are freed from the guilt and dominion of sin. And uh, we set out on our walk with God. There was the freeing initiation. But then there was the terrible privation. God took them through terrible experiences. In uh, verse 15 of Deuteronomy 8, it says, uh, Who led thee through that great and terrible wilderness, wherein were fiery serpents and scorpions and drought, where there was no water. Terrible privation. And God will take you through some terrible privation. One of our seminary students Last week, uh, his wife gave birth to a little Down syndrome child. Uh, just about a month ago, one of the medical students here, his wife had a child and the baby lived just a few hours and then died. God will take you through some very difficult experiences. And they are of God. 
He is the one who put them through this. And he is the one who will put you through that. And God doesn't make mistakes. The terrible privation. And yet in the middle of it, the miraculous provision. In uh, verse 15, Who led thee through that great and terrible wilderness, wherein were fiery serpents and scorpions and drought, where there was no water, the privation, who brought thee forth water out of the rock of Flint. The miraculous provision right in the midst of the terrible privation. God will take you through rough experiences, but he will manifest his presence and his love right in the middle of those experiences. I was reading of a young couple who had finished college and they weren't able to locate a job. Uh, They had bills to pay back from loans for college and they were really, really hard put financially and they they'd gotten down to their last bit of money and they'd spent it for some food. And I mean, they had uh, a hamburger patty each and some bread and some milk and that was it. They sat down to eat it and the young husband gave thanks and yet he kind of he almost broke down. He said, Lord, uh, we thank you for this food, but Lord, we're down to our bottom penny here, and we're not asking for a whole lot, but we are asking for staples. I mean, we do want the basics, and thank you. And uh, he started eating, all of a sudden something hurt him. When he bit down, he fished it out, and there was a staple, a little metal staple. He said, Lord, that's not really what I had in mind. (laughs) They were afraid to eat any more of their hamburger, afraid there's some more in there. And uh, he just took the hamburgers uneaten and went right back to the store and showed them to the manager. And the manager was real upset and he was afraid they were going to sue him, which they had no thought of doing. And he said, look, why don't you all just take a grocery cart and fill it up and get all the groceries you want? Helen Rosaviri, a doctor from England, uh, who's spoken here before, uh, in her book, Living Faith, tells about an experience they had, uh, one of many there in the Congo, uh, where a mother had come into their hospital out in the middle of nowhere, and uh, the mother had given birth to a little premature baby, and then it died in childbirth. She had a two-year-old little girl she'd brought with her also, and now... There they were with the two-year-old little girl and the premature baby. And they didn't have any electricity at this hospital. They didn't have an incubator they could put the baby in. And baby needed warmth. And she sent one of the nurses to take a hot water bottle and fill it up and put it in the bed with the little baby. And while she was filling it up, it burst. And on the equator there, rubber doesn't last very long. That was the last hot water bottle they had. She came back and told her, and they were really afraid that the little baby wouldn't survive now. They tried to keep it as close to the fire as they could, but it get cold at night there. And that next afternoon, she met with the children in the orphanage. They have an orphanage there as part of the complex, and she shared with them about the little girl and the fact that the little girl needed the hot water bottle badly, and you couldn't just get one. They weren't available. Asked them to pray, and 
as they prayed, well, one ten-year-old girl, Ruth, prayed the usual blunt conciseness of the African children. Please, God, she prayed, send us a hot water bottle. It'll be no good tomorrow. God, the baby will be dead tomorrow. Send it this afternoon. Uh, Helen said, while I gasped inwardly at the audacity of the prayer, she added, the little girl added, while you're at it, would you please send a dolly for the little two-year-old girl so she'll know you really love her? Helen said, I didn't believe God could do that. Uh, oh, I know he can do anything, but there are some limits, aren't there? The uh, only way God could answer this particular prayer would be by sending me a parcel from the homeland. I'd been in Africa four years at that time and had never received a parcel from home. Anyway, if anyone did send a parcel, who'd put a hot water bottle in it? Halfway through the afternoon while I was teaching, a message was sent that there was a car at my front door. By the time I reached home, the car had gone. There on the veranda was a large 22-pound parcel bearing U.K. stamps. I felt tears pricking my eyes. I could not open the parcel alone, so I sent for the orphanage children. Uh, together we pulled off the string, folded the paper. Excitement was mounting. Some 30 to 40 pairs of eyes were focused on the large cardboard box. From the top, I lifted out brightly colored knitted jerseys. Eyes sparkled as I gave them out. Then there were knitted bandages for the leprosy patients, a large bar of soap, a box of raisins, and uh, a nice batch of buns. And then I put my hand in again. I felt, could it really be? I grasped it and pulled it out, a brand new rubber hot water bottle. I cried. Uh, Ruth was in the front row of the children. She rushed forward crying, if God sent the bottle, he must have sent the dolly too. Rummaging around, uh, she pulled out the small, beautifully dressed dolly. Her eyes shone. She'd never doubted. Looking up at me, she asked, can I go over with you, mommy, and give this dolly to the little girl so she'll know that Jesus really loves her? Uh, in the midst of the privation, miraculous provision. God's showing that I'm with you. I'm putting you through this, but I'm with you. And uh, I know, and I love you, and I am concerned. Uh, the road is a mixture. Why is it like that? Why is the road like that? Well, he, again, let's remember, it is of him. Down syndrome, it is of him. Baby dies, it is of him. Uh, earlier in Exodus, you remember, God said to Moses, Who made man's mouth? Or who made the deaf, or the dumb, or the seeing, or the blind? Have not I, the Lord? It is of him. Not a sparrow falls without your heavenly Father. Now, there was a purpose in it. Chapter 8, verse 2, Deuteronomy. Thou shalt remember all the way the Lord thy God led thee these forty years in the wilderness to humble thee, to mortify pride, to teach you your inadequacy apart from him, to humble thee, and to prove thee, to know what was in thine heart. God knows what's in our heart. But we don't know what's in our heart. And God puts us in difficult situations so that what's in our heart will come out. When you get in a difficult situation and you react wrong, it's not that they made you react wrong. It's that the situation is revealing what's in you. So you can deal with it. 
So you can repent of it and you can confess it uh, to prove thee, to expose sin, to teach us in those difficult circumstances to obey, to teach you, verse 3, and he humbled thee and suffered thee to hunger and fed thee with manna, the miraculous provision of manna, which thou knewest not, neither did thy fathers know, that he might make thee know something, to teach you something, that man shall not live by bread only, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live, to educate us as to the source of life. We don't live by bread only. We live by God. And I I couldn't take another breath without God. None of us could. The air to breathe. The fact that, that the world goes on. The fact that the sun got up today. All of that's of God. Man doesn't live by bread only. Uh, we're so apt to think that it all just goes on. Uh, you had breakfast, you went to the, to the refrigerator and you got out breakfast this morning. Did you think that that came from God just as really as the manna came from God? Uh, we have to think that life has to do with things. A man's life consists of the abundance of the things that he possesses. If he has a good job and a car and, a, and uh, health and... Uh, in a nice home, he's got it made. I see a person may have all of that and not relate it to God for a second. Not think in terms of all of those things came to me from God. You say, well, I worked for him. Where did your energy to work come from? Where did your mind and ability to think come from? All of those things came from God. In uh, verse eight, uh, chapter 8, verse 17... Thou say in thine heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. Thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth. Uh, man doth not live by bread alone. Oh, so important. He humbled them and he suffered them to hunger and then he gave them food daily so they'd understand their source of life. Who is the real source here? And he did all of this to bless them. In uh, verse 16, it says, Who fed thee in the wilderness with manna, which thy fathers knew not, that he might humble thee, and that he might prove thee to do thee good at thy latter end. He takes you through those rough times to teach you, you can't make it on your own. The worst thing could happen to you would be go through life thinking you could make it on your own. He takes you through those rough times to teach you to depend on Him daily. To turn to Him, to yield to Him. And He does all that to bless you in the long run. It's only in turmoil and trouble that you're going to develop Christian character, Christ-likeness. Only in turmoil will you discover how to have peace in the midst of turmoil. Only in persecution will you learn meekness to turn the other cheek. 
Only in difficulty will you learn to really believe. Only in a hopeless situation will you learn what it means to have hope. And he puts you through those things to develop those character qualities in you, to bless you. And when you don't respond right, he chastens you. Verse 5 of Deuteronomy 8. Thou shalt also consider in thine heart that as a man chasteneth his son, so the Lord thy God chasteneth thee. Therefore, thou shalt keep the commandments of the Lord thy God to walk in his ways and to fear him. Chastening presupposes a wrong response under a test. And then he chastens us and we learn to obey. He wants obedience. Unqualified, instant obedience. And he wants faith, trust. Well, we see the path uh, that he led them down, his prescription for spiritual growth. Testing and yet manifesting his presence there. Privation, miraculous provision. Notice the provisions of God for life and strength in Exodus 16. We're in Exodus now. Exodus 16 and verse 1. They took their journey from Elam, and all the congregation of the children of Israel came under the wilderness of sin, and so on, after departing the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses, and they were in the wilderness. And the children of Israel said unto them, Would God we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the flesh pots, and when we did eat bread to the full? For you have brought us forth into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger." We don't have any food. Now, they had some flocks and herds, but if they'd killed them, then that would have been it. They'd eaten for a week, and then no more flocks and herds. And that wouldn't begin to sustain this group of two million people. And uh, so they needed large supplies of food out there in the wilderness where there was no food. But God made provision in verse 4. And then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread upon heaven for you, from heaven for you, And the people shall go out and gather a certain rate every day, that I may prove them whether they will walk in my law or not. Verse 13. came to pass that the evening quails came up and covered the camp, and in the morning the dew lay round about the host. And when the dew that lay was gone up, behold, upon the face of the wilderness there lay a small round thing, as small as hoarfrost on the ground. When the children of Israel saw it, they said to one another, It is manna. In fact, they said, What is it? And they named it. What is it? And Moses said unto them, This is the bread which the Lord hath given you to eat. You have some modern writers who say, Well, there was no miraculous provision there. If you go there today, you'll find the tamarisk tree, and it gives off a little white substance, and, uh, and that's what they ate. That was the manna. <laughs> Well, the whole Arabian Peninsula produces about 700 pounds of that in a year. That would have fed one thousandth of that group for one day, I guess. No, it was a miraculous provision. And it came six days, and the seventh day it didn't come. And they would have gathered enough on the sixth day to last them to the seventh day. If they kept it over, it would last to the seventh day. Any other day they kept it over, it would spoil and produce worms. This was a miraculous provision. God has them take some of this manna and uh, put it in a jar and keep it to show to succeeding generations in uh, verse 32 
Moses said, this is the thing the Lord commanded, fill an omer of it to be kept for your generations, that they may see the bread wherewith I have fed you in the wilderness. Well, they were to daily gather it. And uh, what does this, what is this all about? Well, as we say, God was teaching them, dependence on him, that he was their source. But it also was picturing something. If you, well, just in John chapter 6, Jesus uh, is challenged by the leaders, the religious leaders. They say, verse 31 of John 6, Our fathers did eat manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. They say, Are you greater than Moses? Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. They said unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger. He that believeth on me shall never thirst. Verse 51, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread I will give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. That bread that he gave, the miraculous bread that sustained physical life, pictured the real bread, Jesus, the bread of life, who came down from heaven and who gave himself, died for our sins, so that God could give eternal life justly when we put our faith in Jesus and surrender our will to Jesus. He's the real bread from heaven. And we live by him. It's only as we feed on him that we have spiritual life. And uh, how do you do that? How do you feed on him? John six forty seven. he says, He that believeth on me hath everlasting life. By believing his claim to be God the Son, the one who died for my sins, by putting my trust in him to save this sinner, surrendering my will to him as my Lord, that's, that's how I eat of that true bread and receive eternal life so that I'll never die. Well, I'll die physically, but that's not death. That's graduation. Oh, they were uh, to, of course, gather it daily. We're to believe on him. We have life. Then we're to feed on him daily through his word. Man shall live by bread alone, by physical intake alone. But every day I need to feed my soul. When Jesus was tempted in the wilderness of Satan, he hadn't eaten physically in 40 days. And Satan comes to him and he says, you're hungry. Well, if you're the son of God, take that stone and turn it into bread. That was a real temptation. His physical hunger was very strong. But Jesus answered and said, no, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. I won't act independently. My father has me in this situation. I'll trust in him. It's more important to obey him than it is to satisfy my physical needs. I'll trust my father and I will obey my father. So living by the word of God involves believing in Christ. It involves feeding my soul on his word. It involves obeying his word. That's having an intake of the Word of God.
Man shall not live by bread alone. Of course, they not only needed food, bread, they needed water in the wilderness. And in chapter 17 of Exodus, verse 3, they run out of water. And God has provision for the water. It says, uh, the people thirsted there for water. The people murmured against Moses and said, Wherefore is it thou hast brought us out of Egypt to kill us and our children with, and cattle with thirst? And Moses cried unto the Lord, What shall I do unto this people? They be ready to stone me. And God says in verse 6, I will stand before thee upon the rock. God showed him a rock. And he said, uh, You take the rod that you held out over the sea and strike the rock, smite the rock, and there shall come water out of it that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of Israel. The water coming out is described in Psalm 105, and it says, He opened the rock, and the waters gushed out. They ran in dry places like a river. God says, I will stand before you on the rock. You smite the rock. God is invisibly before Moses. You can't hit the rock without hitting God. The bread symbolized Jesus, the bread from heaven. The rock symbolized Jesus. You read in 1 Corinthians 10, 4 in the New Testament, and that rock was Christ. Jesus would be smitten for us, and out of that would come the water of everlasting life. That if a man drink, he'll never thirst again. Jesus said, if any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. We live by Christ. C.S. Lewis, in his Chronicles of Narnia, represents Christ as a lion, Aslan. And one of the characters, Jill, little girl, wants to drink. She is so thirsty and she finds this cool stream, so inviting. But right by the stream is Aslan, this huge lion. She says, I'm dying of thirst. Then drink, said the lion. May I, could I, would you, would you mind going away while I do, said Jill. The lion answered this only by a look and a very low growl. And as Jill gazed at its motionless book, she realized she might as well have asked the whole mountain to move aside for her convenience. The delicious rippling noise of the stream was driving her nearly frantic. Will you promise not to do anything to me if I come, said Jill? I will make no promise, said the lion. You want to be a Christian? You want Christ in your life? Are you willing that he do with your life what he wills? It's a very dangerous thing to become a Christian. No one ever became a Christian and remained the same. You don't know what he's going to do with your life. And you don't make any terms when you come to a lion. I will make no promise, said the lion. Jill was so thirsty now that without noticing it, she'd come a step nearer. Do you eat girls? She said. I have swallowed up girls and boys, men and women, kings and emperors, cities and realms, said the lion. It didn't say this as if it were boasting, nor as if it were sorry, nor if it were angry, as if it were angry. It just said it. I daren't come and drink, said Jill. 
Then you will die first, said the lion. Oh dear, said Jill, coming another step nearer. I suppose I must go and look for another stream then. There is no other stream, said the lion. There is no other stream. Man does not live by bread alone. Port is left, starboard is right. There is no other stream. If you want life, if you want to fulfill your purpose in life, if you want to know what life's all about, you must deal with Aslan. You must drink of the bread that he is and gives, eat of the bread that he is and gives, and drink of the water that he gives. You must deal with Aslan. And you deal with Aslan on his terms, not your terms. You must come to Jesus and make a real surrender and put your trust in him. And then you must feed on him daily through his word, through obeying his word. Port is left, starboard is right. It doesn't get any deeper than that. It doesn't get any more basic than that. That's the heart of the matter. There is no other strength. Let us pray. As our hearts are bowed, uh, are you trying to live by bread alone? Have you been acting as if life consisted of material possessions, getting ahead in that sense? Are you dealing with Aslan? Have you really surrendered to Jesus Christ and trusted him? And has he changed your life? Has he gobbled you up in order to bless you? In those privations that he's taken you through, has he humbled you and shown you wrong response so you can deal with it and have you dealt with it? Are you feeding on him daily? Have you obeyed him? Have you made that genuine commitment? If you've never made that commitment of surrendering to Aslan, trusting and surrendering to him, do so right now. Pray in your heart like this. Lord, I come to you as a lion, as one who's sovereign, who makes no promises except that he'll change my life and bless me. Lord, I come to drink, to receive life, and to give myself to you. And I trust you to come into my life as my master and savior. Amen.